you can meet a person and then they're really into you and you start dating them but in the back of your mind you're like wait a minute they're way more sexy than i am way more intelligent than i am like maybe they're more rich than i am like more popular with all their friends or the life of the party like why in the world would they be interested in me there's no freaking reason why they would be if you're happy with the same old ways of dating if you enjoy sucking at communication and you have no desire to improve your romantic life then our podcast might not be for you but if you want some out of the box ideas to deepen your current relationships broaden your sexual horizons develop a better understanding of yourself or learn more about non-monogamy then you've come to the right place I'm Jace. I'm Emily. And I'm Dedeker. And this is the Multi-Amory Podcast. On this episode of the Multi-Amory Podcast, we're talking about self-sabotage in relationships and in life. Whoa. So many of us can sour our lives in a variety of ways. Whether it manifests due to fear or lack of control, self-sabotage can keep us from getting what we really want in our relationships and in our lives. So today we're going to talk about reasons why we self-sabotage as well as how to combat them. And I really wanted the intro to this for me to just go, listen all y'all, it's a sabotage. Listen oh, all y'all, it's a sabotage. But I... Who does that song? Beastie Boys. The, the- Right? Thing. That song? The Beastie Boys? Is it? Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Just, just too young to be into the <laughs> Beastie Boys. Like, just barely. Don't yeah. they, like, yell in that? And then it gets, like, kind of hard rock. Yeah, I mean, that's the, all of the Beastie Boys is oh. kind of this, like... Pretty much every single yelling Beastie Boys hard song rock is what thing? you described. Okay. Yeah, they don't okay. really sing. It's, like, the, the three of them kind of rapping, yelling... Yell rapping, y- yeah. yapping. Well, yapping. I'm gonna I'm gonna stop <laughs> here and just like sabotage your efforts to turn this into a podcast about the Beastie Boys and yeah, bring us back to back to the topic of self sabotage. Yeah. Uh, do we even know what that is? Well, I I can talk about what it is. I have yeah. a definition right here. Apparently, it is behavior that creates problems in our lives or interferes with longstanding goals. So that can mean like a lot of different things. I. Uh, if any of us have ever done something called procrastination, which Never. I, know I definitely Never. I don't even know what you're talking about. No. Yeah, no, that's definitely a, a way in which we self-sabotage. We have like a, a deadline coming up, something that we really need to get done. Um, and we just decide to procrastinate, like put it off, put it off, put it off until the last minute. And then, uh, then obviously it becomes a lot more difficult right at the end, but that's a form of self-sabotage. Um, also, even things like self-medicating, that can include alcohol, drugs, um, things like that, that can be considered as a form of self-sabotage. I know like medical marijuana, that's not necessarily, in my opinion, a part of self-sabotage. That's probably something that is a nice like way in which to cope and deal with life. I think it depends how life. you use them. I think with yes. all of this. I guess you're probably right. Yes, with right. all of it. But, yeah. but if we're talking about something that uh, really is interfering with your life in terms of like alcohol or drugs, then yeah, that can absolutely be construed as a form of self-sabotage. Well, I think it's worth making the distinction here too, Yeah, that this isn't, self-sabotage isn't about like you're doing this thing and it's ruining your life. It's not, not even to that level, but like I'm doing this thing and it's making me 
not accomplish the things I want to accomplish mm-hmm. or not have the relationships I want to have or not yeah. have the friendships I want to have, right? That it's it's a little more subjective. It's not sure. just like, oh, you're not even showing up to work. It doesn't have to be that extreme. It might just be like, I'm not getting the projects I want to get done, done. And instead I'm like, I'll just have a drink or three so that I'm not so worried about it. And then mm-hmm. I can just, you know, so it, it, there's that like fine line between like how much is just, yeah, you know, like, okay, I just, I, I like this and I'm relaxing and I'm still achieving my goals and how much is not that. Yeah. How much is like, I'm actually just putting it off indefinitely. Right. right. In, right. In well, with any, I think bad, with yeah. any kind of substance, whether it's alcohol or illegal substances, like, mm-hmm. of course there's always going to be a line between, you know, what is just having fun or just relaxing or socializing versus what is like avoiding, you know, using it as something that's avoiding dealing with something that's bigger in your life. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Mm-hmm. I, another way of self-sabotage is self-injury. Um, mm-hmm. This is a tough one yeah. for sure. But yeah, I, I, I uh, one of my dear, dear friends growing up uh, had a, what is it trigotillomania which was um like plucking out her own hairs and that is definitely like a form of compulsive self-harm there's a variety Mm -hmm. of other ones obviously but yeah that um is a more extreme version in my opinion of like a a self-sabotaging behavior um and then yeah addictions which i think can go along with self-medicating in a variety of ways but yeah this but is it could also be like an addiction to a, a behavior. behavior yeah absolutely yeah. or a substance any sort of behavior or substance can be an addiction i uh, and then even just frequent interpersonal conflict like if you're a person that just tends to have a lot of conflict in their life um that can be a form of self-sabotage if you're constantly like trying to find conflict uh, and you know, it, never really choosing to move past that, or uh, it just kind of always comes towards you, then yeah, that can be a form of self-sabotage. And then also just even distorted thinking or beliefs. So uh, poor self-worth, um, not being honest with yourself about what you actually want, what your goals are in your life, how you're achieving them, or if you're not. And then also heavy self-criticism. Things like that can uh, definitely be a form of self-sabotage. And I feel like a lot of these overlap. Yeah, I, you know, can, it's yeah. it's like, you know, procrastination can can be like linked with your decision to self-medicate, mm-hmm. let's say, by, you know, just kind of like getting really drunk instead of doing what you need to do, which is also a form of self-injury, which can also lead to addiction or to frequent interpersonal conflict, and which maybe the base of it is like these distorted thinking or beliefs about your self-worth. Like, so it's all these things. Self-sabotage can definitely be this like, holistic kind of force that can lead to many kinds Mm. of different behaviors. Yeah. Yeah. So for this episode, for the first half of the episode, we're going to talk about some of the reasons why we self-sabotage and kind of with, with the hope of getting some insights and seeing like which ones resonate for you. Uh, I know as we were preparing this, there were some of them that for me was like, yeah, yep. Yep. Definitely do that one. (laughs) And other ones less. So, um, but even in putting together these categories, there was still a lot of like, well, you could argue that this one falls into the other category that that, because mm. there's so much overlap in all of this and that you can, your mind can try so many different ones of these strategies to try to keep itself comfortable or to stop from being afraid. Um, so it, it is, it is really interesting how much overlap there is, but 
we did end up landing on some categories that we felt like would help for at least kind of figuring out kind of which ones resonate the most with you and seem to show up the most in your life. Yeah, I, I feel like a lot of these do tend to overlap and I I don't know, they can kind of like feed in and out of one another. Mm. So it is interesting <laughs> to like look at it in that respect. So yeah, let's jump into it for sure. Yeah, so we came up with eight. Um, I'm going to start with our first one. So sometimes we can self-sabotage because of reasons that are deeply tied to our inherent sense of self-worth. Um, so for instance, you know, sometimes we can prevent ourselves from taking action or like taking the first step toward a project that we want to do or a job that we want to apply for because there's a part of us that feels like maybe we don't deserve it. Maybe we don't feel worthy of this particular thing. And so we're not going to go after it in the first place. Um, it can look a variety of ways. It could be something like, Maybe at work, you're always working overtime or you're taking on a bunch more tasks to try to make up for maybe feeling like you don't deserve the position that you have. That's um, really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. In relationships, um, it can be, you know, you get this urge to kind of leave the relationship or to bail on the relationship once it's starting to get actually intimate or serious. And maybe that's linked to an idea of like, you don't feel like you're worthy of this person. Or you don't feel like you're worthy of this particular relationship. Um, I know this reminds me of, there was a study where they found that um, um, in heterosexual couples where woman made significantly a higher income than the man did. So she was like, they were both working, but she was bringing in more money. They found surprisingly that actually still like the share of household work and childcare work still fell disproportionately to the woman more so than in couples where their incomes were kind of relatively the same. They found that when it was relatively the same, it was closer that there was an equal division of labor. But with women who had significantly higher incomes, they actually took on more of the labor and they theorize that the reason is that it's, um, you know, a lot of women have been so told that it's like they need to be the ones doing the caretaking. They need to be the ones doing the child care. And based on a sense of like feeling guilty around having a busier or more or quote unquote more successful job that a lot of women felt pressure to like take on more tasks at home to kind of balance that out. Wow. Um, which of course, you know, it's the whole second shift things. It leads to a lot of people being extremely burnt out and tired out, you know, like dealing with both a high pressure job as well as like handling all these tasks at home. But, but I think that's interesting that it's like we can kind of self sabotage in a way that on the outside looks good and more productive, um, but that's actually maybe destructive. Fascinating. It's funny when you were talking about working overtime or taking on more tasks, when you were saying that, it also made me think of when you're working freelance or something of underbidding yourself. Oh, yeah. Of just being like, oh, sure, I'll do that thing for a hundred bucks. And it ends up taking you 20 hours. And you're like, cool, I just made $5 an hour because I didn't feel like I deserved more than that. Yeah. Right? Mm. I feel like actors do that all the time yeah. in Los Angeles. Like, yeah, I'll work for free. Like, I yeah. don't deserve to be paid for this thing because so many other people would go after it and do it um, for free as well. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah oh, yeah, that's, that's a, a huge one. one. That's that's a huge one. I think especially whenever you're in a position of having to to price your own work or the value of your own work, whether it's like a tangible product that you put out or like you're a freelancer, you know, doing some kind of intangible work. Um, that one's really, really hard um, because I think 
money itself is already so emotional and then yeah. tying it also yeah. to like how much we feel like we deserve yeah. how much oh do we boy. feel like our time deserves or our labor deserves like that just uh, it can get really sticky really quick and yeah a lot of people can self-sabotage when they decide like oh uh, i'm really not that worth that much if i or if i say it's gonna be this much then it's gonna scare away the client like i already it's a client i don't deserve as it is and so i'm just gonna underbid myself and and mm. you know then be poor <laughs> yeah I could even see that applying on the other side with relationships too, instead of just the example of ending relationships as soon as they start to feel serious. Cause it's like, Oh, that couldn't possibly work out for me. I better get out of this, but also maybe getting into relationships with people that don't feel that great to be with. Yeah. You know, but it's you're like afraid well, of being alone or, well, I was just going to say, cause it's like, well, this is probably as good as I deserve. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Um, all right. So our second category here is control. And this one is basically the idea that I would rather be in control of things going badly than to feel like they're good, but it's out of my control that it could go bad at any moment. So mm. the example here would be like you're consistently either creating problems or coming up with new problems or things to fight about in a relationship until you eventually break up. But at least you were sort of in control of all of that rather than being really happy and being, oh my gosh, this is great. And then if something does go wrong, if they do break up with you or something happens, that felt out of your control as yeah, opposed it's to like the a other more way. vulnerable position to be in. Exactly. Exactly. It's like letting myself enjoy the good thing makes it that much scarier. So I'd rather be in control of it being bad than out of control of it being good. Yeah. Yeah, I've definitely I've seen I've anecdotally seen people do something where it's like, let's say they're in a monogamous relationship and one partner cheats. Mm. Um, but what the downfall of the relationship is, is actually the person who cheated kind of accusing the other partner of something. And huh. that's where it kind of all falls apart. Or I've also seen instances where it's like one person snoops their partner's phone, for instance. But what the actual downfall is, is that they, the person who snooped, actually kind of accusing the other person of like violating their privacy. And then it all kind of like spirals out of, you know, not really out of control, but, you know, kind of all spirals downward. And I guess it's that kind of same thinking of this idea of like, I kind of need to take control of the situation, even if it means flying the plane into the ground right. <laughs> um, right. rather than myself being caught or rather than all like the pressure and you know, the spotlight being on me and what I've done wrong. Like I've definitely seen that happen numerous times in people's relationships falling apart. Yeah. 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 And I think this could also apply to, you know, just in your personal life is like making irresponsible decisions or maybe even like doing shoddy work. Uh, but kind of doing something that's going to make sure that your business goes into the ground or that you don't get those promotions or that you get fired or that you, you know, don't end up with a product that you're proud of because it's like, well, at least I was in control of that as opposed to giving it my all. And then if it's still bad, that was out of my control and that's a much worse outcome. Yeah, it's like, right? well, yeah, it's like actually your best work is like as much as you can give and as much as you are. And then if somebody kind of shits all over that or says that it's not good enough, then that's going to feel way worse than if you did kind of a shoddy job on something. Right. And they tell you, well, that's, that wasn't very good. And you're like in the back of your head. Yeah, I know. I know it wasn't, but at <laughs> least, you know, I was in control of that situation. That's right. Interesting. Right. And I think that one's going to be related to what the next gonna, one, not the next one, but the one after that. Yeah. Uh, that these two kind of get into each other, but, but yeah, you 
keep going with the next one? Sure. The middle one is going to be uh, the old chestnut imposter syndrome. Who, yeah. Uh, for people who aren't familiar with imposter syndrome, how would you well, describe it? For me, like it's that idea that um, even if I get something really great in my life, I'm actually not worthy of it. Like it's as though an imposter uh, was coming in and is taking control of like the situation and saying like, okay, you know, this imposter person got the thing that that I am getting mm-hmm. in this moment. So you're saying you're the imposter. Yeah, like I'm you the came imposter. You pretended to be a successful person. There you go. That's the one. <laughs> I'm not actually a success. I'm just an imposter person. So like, like yeah. for example, okay, I'm going to go back to acting, but like... Can I, oh, Well, can I jump in on this one? Okay. Because I, I feel like it is very closely related to self-worth in that sense. Oh, of for like sure. I'm not worthy of this. However, I know for me, where the where imposter syndrome comes up is more specifically in feeling like I'm not qualified mm. for this or like I've somehow deceived my way to this particular position of success yeah. and I'm going to be found out. Like, I think that's a big part of imposter syndrome. For yeah. Me, the found idea out of like, idea. Sure. If, if people actually looked critically at me or critically at my work, they would, they would find out that I'm not actually supposed to be here, that I am an imposter. Yeah. So it's kind of like one part self-worth and also one part feeling like, there's some sort of weird deception. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I, I remember I did a national commercial a couple of years ago and uh, like the entire time I was like, yeah, I, I don't deserve this. I don't deserve this. Mm-hmm. Like someone much better than me should be doing this. Like I'm going to get fired off of this job because like this is my first one and I don't, I'm not like worthy of being here essentially. So yeah, it's it's, it's exactly that thing. Like I'm not, a person who should be sitting in this position right now. It's like the difference between category one, which was Mm self-worth is more like, I'm not going to do this thing or I'm going to do it badly because I don't think I deserve it. And imposter syndrome is like, I got the thing. Somehow I got the thing. I better sabotage it because I don't deserve it. Sure. Yeah. (laughs) Or even just like subconsciously telling yourself like you are not worthy. Like you are going to get, uh, it thrown off this job or whatever because I'm. But you an didn't imposter. though. Like you didn't in no, that I example. Know. You didn't self sabotage yourself, even if you did have that belief, which I think is something worth sure. realizing as we talk in the second half about true. how to deal with these things. And it doesn't necessarily mean you won't ever have these freakouts or these fears. No, absolutely. But the importance of learning how to not self sabotage yourself. Yeah, I mean, so that's an, an example in my personal life, but also like in a relationship, you can meet a person and then they're really into you and you start dating them. But in the back of your mind, you're like, wait a minute, they're way more sexy than I am, way more intelligent than I am. Like maybe they're more rich than I am, like more popular with all their friends or the life of the party. Like why in the world would they be interested in me? There's no freaking reason why that would be. So I'm so, going to create conflict or sure. make it bad or like give them reasons to break up with me. Cause obviously they couldn't, like, yeah, they this, couldn't this, possibly yeah. be interested in me. Yeah. yeah. Something like that. And this is an interesting one is like if you're at a networking event or a dating event or a social event to kind of like downplay who you are in a sense or just like talking down about yourself uh, that like that imposter syndrome in the back of your mind is like, well, nobody's going to be interested in me at this event. Like I'm not worthy of people's time. So I'm just going to kind of like shit all over myself when I'm talking to people. Like that self-deprecating humor that, that can go... A little, little too, too far, far. Yeah. yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right, right. 
So the next one, um, again, this is closely related to the control category and all these things kind of build upon each other. Um, we called this setting yourself up the bomb. Um, <laughs> but it's basically, it's like kind of planting the seeds of your own demise. Um, wow, so epic. Un- un- I, know. I know, right? It's kind of under these, this assumption that it's like, well, if I don't try, then it's okay to fail. Or mm. if I don't mm. try, then like the sting of failure isn't quite as stingy. Um <laughs> You know, and so it can be something like, you know, you don't study for a test because if you fail on the test, then you can just be like, oh, well, I didn't study. You know, clearly that's why. Instead of, oh, I tried my best and tried really hard and then failed. It's not on me. It's on the fact that, well, clearly I didn't, I just didn't even try, you know. And so it kind of takes that pressure off, takes that sting out of the failure a little bit. Um, In a relationship, it can be something like, you know, doing intentional things that you know are are going to... um contribute toward the collapse of that relationship. Mm. Um, you know, things like maybe you go stay out late drinking all the time and not communicate or you, or you flake it on your partner all the time and it keeps you from being vulnerable and potentially getting hurt because you can be like, well, yeah, whatever. Like the relationship fell apart because I was just not around or just not present. You know, it's, it's kind of, I feel like there's a little bit akin to trying to ghost your way out of a relationship. Mm. You know, it's kind of this idea of like, if I just like neglect things, enough then it's all going to fall apart you know especially if you feel like you don't feel confident enough or solid enough or maybe even brave enough to be the person to initiate that breakup conversation or to talk about the reasons or what you want to have change in the relationship it's just easier to kind of go this route of setting yourself up the bomb (laughs) as it were and again controlling the situation yeah definitely has has some connections to that well I I, i feel like it's also um it's like that idea of what what is it basically that that you could confuse it and think oh no i'm just being really honest with myself and it's like oh this person broke up with me because i wasn't really around or i wasn't communicative or i was distant like oh yeah that's on me but it's like why weren't you but that's the thing it's like the reality is that you didn't do those things you weren't those things because then you could blame it on that instead of really giving it a go. And then if you fail, it's because they didn't like you, or at least that's how it feels. Mm, right. Um, rather than saying, Oh, I could blame it on a thing I did rather than on just me. So it's like, I I think sometimes people can even trick themselves into thinking they're not doing this because they're like taking ownership of their own failures. When in reality, they're not like taking ownership of things enough, um, and instead doing these things so they can blame it on them. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, All right, the next one here is familiarity. This is basically kind of like the devil you know. Um, And it's essentially the idea that I would rather have this thing that's not great, but I'm familiar and I at least know how to get by in this situation than to venture off into something that could be better but that I don't know. Uncharted waters. Right? Yeah. So in life, this could look like something like staying at a job that you hate or that you're really unhappy with or that you really don't like the work environment or anything like that. And there's a part of you that knows you could do something better or that you could get something better, but that's just so, seems so overwhelming that it's like, well, I'll just stay at this thing because I at least understand it. Uh, in a relationship, this can look very similar, basically exactly the same, of staying in a relationship that's not very good. It's not happy. Maybe it's toxic. Maybe it's 
um, a little bit or a lot bit abusive, right? Any of those things, but it's familiar, you know it, you've kind of figured out how to get by with it. Um, and so it's like, well, I'd rather do that than risk being alone because I, you know, I don't know, or I don't know if anyone else would like me, right? So I'll stick with what's comfortable. Yeah, or it feels safer because of that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then kind of a different spin on this is that maybe you have a fairly tumultuous relationship with a partner and that things have actually started to get better. Like you have sort of worked out some of these things and you're starting to get along better, but that's not comfortable because it's not familiar. Ironically, the thing that's better like doesn't feel as comfortable. And mm. so you'll do things to push their buttons or things to try to get more of that emotional, you know, fired response, up response. Yeah. And uh, we talked about this a long time ago on about um, long distance relationships that it's something I found or I noticed that I was doing years and years and years ago during one of my first attempts at doing long distance was over the phone kind of starting like extra serious conversations or arguments or getting upset about stuff. I think because I missed the intense feelings that we had in mm. NRE and now that we were more long distance, it's like, well, I'm not feeling this intensity I'm just kind of living my day-to-day -day life. So I've got to get that somehow. And so causing fights or getting upset about things was a way to do that. Yeah. Well. Uh, so the next category is going to be disempowerment. Uh, this is a really interesting one. And it's kind of this idea that like you don't start a task or a project because you don't feel empowered to be able to like take action. You don't feel maybe educated enough to like know how to even start something. And so you just like avoid it altogether. Uh, so in life, like you might want to create something, you might want to even like create your own podcast or write a book or like start a YouTube channel or, you know, write a play or something along those lines. But you you don't have any idea what the first step to take is. Uh, you don't know like how to market it, how to get it out there. So you just choose to scrap the project altogether or you procrastinate or do something along those lines and then just like never get it off the ground. Um and in a relationship, it can be just perpetually like avoiding a difficult talk or uh, something that really needs to be addressed because, again, you don't know where to begin with that or you know like, hey, this is going to be really tough for both of us. And so I'm, I'd am i rather like stay in the familiar pattern of like just the day to day, even if it's not going very well. And so I'm doing that as opposed to like really having like the honest conversation with my partner. In the book, The War of Art, have hmm. have either of you read that book? Uh, I, I've I only read it by extension of, of you telling yeah, me Yeah, exactly. It. <laughs> I know. I was like, you've talked about it over yeah. the years. Yeah. Uh, anyway, The War of Art, it's a really interesting book about um, kind of getting past self-sabotage, specifically as an artist mm -hmm. and, you know, writing or making music or whatever it is. But one of the things I remember from that book that's related to this category specifically is the idea that, um, you know, like no composer says like, I am i don't ever want to write a good piece of music or I'm never going to make that. I'm just not going to do it. It's everyone's going to do it tomorrow. Mm. It's that idea of like, I, I will write the next great symphony or the next great novel, but tomorrow. tomorrow. Because I don't really know how to start it, but maybe tomorrow I will. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. So it's, it's, I like, I'll be honest. I really like the narrative of like taking, cause I, it's so easy to shit on procrastination. It's like simultaneously so easy to just like shit on it. Like, Oh, it's terrible. And Oh, it's the worst. And like such a bad habit, but then also to like really relate to everyone. Cause it's like almost everyone procrastinates um, at some point. Yeah. You're right. But I really like the idea of kind of changing the narrative around procrastination that it is about this. It's about like not feeling empowered, empowered to, mm. or knowledgeable enough to even start a task that it's not necessarily inherent like you know related to like oh uh, you're you're self-sabotaging because you're so freaking lazy um you know that mm. it's like maybe you're self-sabotaging because you just don't know or you just don't even know how to break up the task into different steps or how to break it into smaller tasks or whatever things like that um that is closely related to the next category which is something that is near and dear to my heart. <laughs> and that is perfectionism. <laughs> um, so it's this idea of like you self-sabotage because everything needs to be perfect before you can actually take action. And because you're waiting until everything's absolutely perfect, you don't actually end up taking action. Mm. No, this just reminds me of uh, th- this woman who was a really, really famous, really glorious figure skater, Sasha Cohen, like in 2000, in like the early 2000s to like 2006. And she called herself a procrast or no, I'm sorry, a perfectionist. And she would like, she never, never could do like a clean long program. Like she always would at least like make one mistake or something within it. And I think it was just kind of a mental block about it, but she always blamed it on like perfectionism. Like, I just want to be so perfect. So that's like causing me to not be able to ever be perfect. It's interesting. And like, I know how you have talked about, well, it's challenging sometimes because you want like your book or your whatever, like to be perfect. And so it's hard to like get started with it or, or complete something or not have a mental block about it. Totally. So, so, you know, in life it can manifest as, you know, maybe you do create something like a podcast or a book or a video or a piece of art or something like that, but like you never show it to anyone or you never publish it or you never submit it because it's imperfect. Mm. Um, hey, you guys I know remember if- that whole podcast that we recorded like two years ago that we never released? <laughs> no. Oh, <laughs> yes. You mean about figure yes, skating? I remember it. Yep. I remember it. Yep. Yes. We, we did that a couple that. times. Yep. Yeah, we yep. recorded recorded some whole like, multiple episodes of a podcast that were like, nope. Nope, it's not it's not perfect enough. Yeah. Yeah, there's there's in the multi-amory vault. Yeah. There's so much content that has been released because we're just like, nope, nope, not perfect enough. I know for me it always comes up in my writing. Like I definitely have the terrible habit uh that everyone says writers shouldn't do, but that I do all the time, which is like editing while I write. Mm. Yeah. Of being like, I'll write around I'm like, no, 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 wait it'll be better this way. No, 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 wait, wait, no, 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 it should be this way. Oh, wait, no, that's not the right word. Oh, what word do I want? And like, while I've been pouring over getting this one sentence perfect, everyone else has written 200 sentences. <laughs> um, and so that kind of holds me back from like creating more content. Um, in a relationship, kind of similar to the disempowerment thing, it can be avoiding a difficult talk or some kind of uncomfortable communication just perpetually because you're hung up on getting your words or your thoughts like 100% right or 100% clear. Mm. Um, I think it's not a coincidence that I'm both a perfectionist and a chewer instead of a spewer when it comes to processing things because I'm all about like, okay, I need to sit and like chew on this and like 
get 100% clear on what I'm going to say so that I can deliver this perfect monologue to my partner and then I can talk about it. But I can't talk about it in the moment or I can't talk about it while I'm feeling things or I can't talk about it while it's, my thoughts are in a jumble because, you know, that's that's just not going to do. And so then the talk ends up getting pushed off and, and pushed back and, and procrastinated on and then maybe even never happens. Um, I've definitely seen it with clients who avoid the next step in opening up their relationship mm. because they're waiting for it to be 100% comfortable or to feel 100% perfect. Um, which very rarely happens whenever you're dealing with personal growth or with something new is that it rarely feels 100% perfect or comfortable, but because they're waiting for that, they end up not going anywhere. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So like the difference between these last two categories, the disempowerment one and the perfectionism one is that, like for opening up a relationship, the disempowerment one would be like, this is something that I really want, but I don't know how someone would possibly talk to their partner about that or or how people would even do that. So like, I don't do it. And then the perfectionism one is the, I've read every single book ever published on polyamory and I've listened to every episode of multi-amory twice. Um, but like, I haven't my partner, my partner, and I have spent sixty hours talking about it. Yes. Right, but we haven't quite evaluated like every possible contingency plan for yeah. everything that could happen, and so we haven't moved forward. So th- that's kind mm. of like they they can seem very similar when you describe them at first of like oh well you just don't know what to do so you don't move forward, but like the way they manifest is where they're very different from each other. We've seen this in both cases. Yeah, people yes yeah. deciding to go into polyamory or not. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, And then our last category here in this half is about community identity. So what this looks like is say you have a group of friends and what your friends do when they're together is you all get together and you complain about your terrible relationships or you complain about the shitty dates that you go on or whatever it is that in this case, say you then go on a date that's actually good and you're starting to have a relationship that's really good. There can be this tendency to want to, self-sabotage that either by just getting out of that relationship or causing problems in it or like looking for more things to be upset about. Because if I were to be happy in my relationship, how do I fit in with my friend group anymore? Because this is what we do. This is how we bond socially, right? Or another example would be, say you have opened up your relationship and you and your partner both have been struggling to find dates and then you do find one, it can feel like, oh, that's going to make me disconnected from my partner, or that's going to upset them. So, oh, I won't, I won't go on this date, or I'll, I'll find some reason why this person's not right for me, or something like that to try to sabotage it in order to maintain comfort in that relationship. And the irony here is that in both of those cases, your friends didn't even necessarily say you can't talk to us anymore if you're happy. And your partner didn't say, I don't want you to find a date. Uh, but this is something that you've put on yourself of like, well, I don't want to be different from my community. So I'm going to ensure that I don't become different from them by having more success. Yeah. I feel like this is kind of, it's kind of related to the familiarity category that we talked about earlier, mm. but I feel like there's a part of it is about, like maintaining status quo to a certain extent that sometimes we will self-sabotage in order to maintain status quo. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Yeah. I think this one's just kind of focused on like how you fit into a community of some sort, even if that's just your community with your partner, whereas the other one's almost more like just yourself. Right. Right. Of, of 
just what you're used to, I guess. I mean, a lot of these are just like kind of a, a, a question of like, how, where do I feel safest, I guess, as well. Mm. And if that mm. is like within this community that has remained the same for years and years, and I don't want to like leave that because that feels unsafe or a variety of other things, you know, the disempowerment even, you know, deciding right. like, well, I it, it feels safest to stay in this place and it's unsafe to like possibly create a new thing and then not know right. like where that's going to take me in my life. So definitely. Yeah. 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 And then this one, when we were preparing this, uh, Dedeker pointed out that this comes up a lot with someone who is monogamous and wants to be non-monogamous, but worries, well, I'll lose all my friends, right? I won't be able to fit in with my friend group. So I'm going to make sure that I'm not able to become non-monogamous or even the other way around of like, I'm non-monogamous and I kind of actually want to have a monogamous relationship, but I'm worried that then I won't fit in with my, you know, polyamory discussion group friends and things like that. Um, So yeah, this can definitely come up in, in a lot of different ways. Uh, in terms of that wanting to be part of a community, not wanting to disrupt the status quo of that community and your place in it. Exactly. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer and set of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. For a long time now, we've been fans of adamandeve.com for getting sex toys or lingerie or accessories, things like that. It's just a fantastic resource with a huge selection. And now, not only do we have a fantastic offer, but we also have a promo code that will work on adammail.com and evestoys.com, which are their sites specifically for LGBTQ audiences. And our code is fantastic. It's 50% off of almost any item in the store and free discreet shipping when you use our code MULTI. Yes, we love adamandeve.com and have for years. They are our oldest and longest sponsor, and they just keep on giving great gifts to us and to our listeners. You can bring more pleasure and satisfaction into your bedroom by going to adamandeve.com, adammail.com, or evestoys.com and select any one item. It can be, you know, an adventurous new toy, or anything you desire, something fun, something sexy, whatever sounds good. So just enter offer code MULTI at checkout and you'll get 50% off almost any item plus free shipping. That's MULTI, M-U-L-T-I at adamandeve.com, adammail.com or evestoys.com. This is an exclusive offer that is specific to this podcast and it's better than any offer that is currently available on their site. So again, use code MULTI to get you not just the 50% discount, but also the 100% free shipping. Code M-U-L-T-I. So now in the second half of the episode, we're going to look at some things you can do to actually address these. How do you stop doing these kinds of self-sabotage, both in terms of looking inside yourself and figuring out kind of what are the underlying causes of this? How can I change those beliefs? And then also some just sort of practical, like, how can I just stop doing the things, even if I still have some of those beliefs? And I really wanted to title this whole second half, If You Got a Problem, Yo, I'll Solve It. What is this Actually, you have to solve it yourself. 
uh, Vanilla Ice. Oh. My, my whole thing is You like, were just really bringing out the references Well, today. he's bringing out how old he is. Yeah. yeah. It's true. It's true. Yeah. I had a question. Okay, so if this section is kind of like, you know, combating self-sabotage, so we're looking for what's the opposite of self-sabotage? What's the opposite of sabotage? Collaboration? Support? Stop. Collaborate and listen. <laughs> <Yes>. Damn it. <laughs> okay. Yes. Yes, it is. Yeah. So if you got a problem, yo, I'll solve it. Stop. Collaborate and listen. Is that's the answer. There you go. How you do it. Is that the answer? I don't think that answered my question. No, it but doesn't. I, I have a feeling that's the best I'm going to get out of the two of you. <laughs> yeah, so I, I guess think I'll it might be. I'm ahead. It might be. Self, self-sabotage. Self-reflection. S- self-empowerment. Self-progress. Sure. Yeah. Empowerment's part of that. Progress is part of that. Yeah. We'll talk about yeah. some of those things. But the first okay. one is self-examination, which I think is probably probably the initial one to even like <laughs> move forward past self-sabotage, but probably the most difficult to get to initially. Because if you see that like your life is continuing to go in this kind of cyclical pattern-based way, it might be time to examine things about yourself. Like if that first half of the episode resonated with you. Yeah, and you. you're like, ooh, ooh, <laughs> yikes. Oh man, here we go. Yeah. Uh, then maybe it's time to take a look at yourself. So the first thing that you might want to do is look at the things that you believe about yourself because other people told you. So like that can include messages from your parents, from teachers you had in the past, from your exes. Or Whoa, all three of those, partners. yeah, all three of those resonate for for me right off the bat. Yeah. yeah, I mean, definitely. Like, yeah, I've I've had teachers who said that I wasn't good enough at X, Y, or Z thing, mm-hmm. or you know, whatever. Yeah, parent things, exes, absolutely, all of those. Um, it's important to actually like look at yourself and look at the difference between. Did somebody tell me this because it's true or do I have this belief about myself just because it was said to me at one point in my life? And is that actually truly the case? And is it like serving me in this moment? Yeah. When I, um, when I was first going to therapy, I forget what I was even talking to my therapist about, but like I mentioned something where it was like, yeah, well, well, like I can't do this because then if I do this, then like, you know, um, then that's going to just like feel rude and, and it's going to be inappropriate. And so I can't say that. And my therapist just said, Oh, who taught you that? Ooh. Um, <laughs> and you were like, <laughs> and I was like, Oh, damn. Um, <laughs> damn. But, but I actually, I really appreciated that question. Just framing it that way of like, Oh, who told you that? Oh, who taught you that? Um, when you say something about yourself, especially when you say something about yourself, that's negative. Um, Cause yeah. it just invites that examination of like, really though, who did teach me that? It's like, oh, maybe like maybe my parents taught me that maybe in an indirect way. Maybe they didn't directly say to me like, oh, you're rude and inappropriate. But indirectly, I got that message that I am a rude and inappropriate person. I feel like this comes up a lot with things like clumsiness. Mm. Where it's like, if you just got told over and over that you were clumsy, that that can be one that you sort of can take on as a belief about yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Or I think in my case, some of my perfectionism comes from, I did really, really well in school. And so being told over and over again, like, oh, like you do so well in school or you always get straight A's or Mm. you're always so good at X, Y, and Z that then it's like, well, I can never not be good at X, Y, and Z. Yeah. Essentially. That that can happen. That's a really good example. Yeah. 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 There's the old adage floating around that it's like the ways that parents speak to their children end up becoming their inner voice when they become adults. And I think that applies for both criticism and 
even praise as well. Absolutely. Yeah, like, these are the things that are valuable about me. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, jeez. Absolutely. Well, and to go along with that, there's also things that our parents believed about themselves that we adopted, that we took on. And even, like, if a parent is not really present in our lives, like, for instance, if our parents were, like, missionaries and they are constantly going off and, you know, leaving us at home or whatever, then we see that as like something that's important and maybe view ourselves as like the less important thing as this thing outside of ourselves is more important. And we take that on, we adopt that belief to a degree or just like, Hey, you know, I don't know. Your parents are, are scared of X, Y, or Z thing. And so therefore you become, you take on that thing as well and, and are always afraid of money or afraid of, I don't know. Re- Money's you know. a big one, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Money's a huge one, oh my God. Yeah, oh, for sure, yeah. I know I know. my mom was like, definitely, it, it just had a lot of like money things throughout her life that she not necessarily was needed to worry about, but but it was instilled in her that she should be worried about it or or uptight about money. And, and I definitely think that I've taken that on in my life to a degree. I think, sorry, I'm laughing because I just put some things together. So I, I think I inherited my mom's self-criticism about her looks hmm. because growing up, like growing up, I, at least I didn't get any like direct criticism from people close to me about my looks. I know some people do, um, but I definitely didn't get that. I got all the normal messages that like girls get about how they're supposed to look, but um, at least from my mom and from my close inner circle, like I never got criticism about, about my looks, but I still inherited the ways that my mom criticized herself about her looks, Mm. which was like, and my mom is like a beautiful woman and like has always aged incredibly well, you know? Well, but that's the thing. But like, she's, I grew up listening to her criticize her own weight to herself Mm. all the time. Or, you know, if she left the house without makeup on, always commenting on like, Oh, I look like a hag right now. Um, Or honestly needing to leave the house with her bangs perfectly. Oh, I there, 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 it all makes sense. And there it all is. I yeah. used, like, mom would finally be ready to leave the house. And if it was the summertime and, like, the air conditioning was going, she would make one of us go over to switch off the air conditioning because she couldn't walk in front of it because it would mess up her bangs. <laughs> wow. And oh, boy. That's 100% me now. Yeah. yeah. It's ridiculous. It all makes sense, y'all. There it is. I feel like you've gotten better about letting it go, but... But the yeah, bangs. well, my bangs yeah. have got. Well, I got a better haircut that where my bangs behave better. That's why. Yeah, thank you. Hashtag thank you, Josh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh my god, I didn't. I did not expect you were going to get into my bangs hanging up yeah. today on this well, episode. It's okay. That is what it is. Well, and yes, it is important to examine also these defense mechanisms that we have created to combat all of these beliefs about ourselves. Well, to to combat also like the behavior of the people in our lives. Sure. So like your your example earlier, Emily, about the the like parents who are gone a lot of the mm-hmm. time, that perhaps that's upsetting for a kid. And so that kid then develops some beliefs or some behaviors of their own to make that not hurt so bad. Perhaps being aloof or perhaps, you know, being ghost in someone. <clears throat> Yeah, or like, you know, ghost in their parents or being... Just avoid Avoidantly attached. Right, yeah. being, being angsty or whatever. And that that at the time was very helpful, right? Mm-hmm. It helped them at that time to not be so hurt by the situation. But then later in life, it becomes a problem where it, 
it gets in the way of them actually connecting with people. It causes them to self-sabotage instead of actually having relationships with people who will be there for them and who are reliable. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's like, so the three categories, the first one is things that people told you about yourself that you have believed. The second one is things that you watched other people usually your parents believe about themselves that then you said, Oh, that must be true of me too. And then the third is kind of what have you built up to protect yourself from some of these behaviors you were exposed to over and over again that might not be serving you today. Yeah. So then the first answer here is to get some outside help. And this could mean therapy. It could mean counseling. It could mean a support group, um, especially if we're talking about handling, you know, addiction or addictive behaviors or things like that, getting that outside help can be really helpful to get you to kind of a baseline from which you can then work on, on improving things. Um, and this could also, depending on your situation, it could be even something as simple as just getting an accountability buddy. Um, <laughs> I think we've mentioned before on this show that, for things like that, it's generally best not to have that be your romantic partner. Um, this is something that a piece of advice I heard years ago that when I heard it, I was like, oh my God, that makes so much sense. Of It's basically like you don't want your partner to be both the person that you're supposed to like love and feel happy with and have sex with, but then they're also kind of like your jailer or the policeman or like the trainer keeping you accountable that like the one relationship doesn't really foster the other. I mean, and like, you know, in a, in a day-to-day situation, obviously if you want to do some role playing of, of that, that can work, but you know what I mean? Yeah. And so, I mean, getting the outside help again, it doesn't have to be like shelling out a ton of money for a therapist. It could be like, if you examine like, Oh, I noticed that, I have major imposter syndrome going on as like whenever I sit down to work on this particular project. And so I'm going to find a friend that I trust when I feel that imposter syndrome and just talk to them about it, you mm. know, just be like, mm-hmm. Hey, Oh my God, the imposter syndrome is coming up. Like, can you just tell me that like, I'm it's good at what okay. I do <laughs> and it's going to be okay. You know, and it couldn't be just as simple as that. Like your friend can be your accountability buddy in that sense. And ideally like maybe that's a mutual thing as well that you kind of help encourage your friend through the way, you know, through them kind of getting over the ways that they often self-sabotage as well. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it could also be like finding, um, you know, a social worker or a coach or something who does a sliding scale um, to make mm-hmm. it affordable for you. Um, there's lots of different ways that you could get this. Um, so, so don't feel like, oh, well, that's not an option I could do. <laughs> Maybe if you are having that thought, examine which of the self-sabotaging which things that might exactly. be coming from. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Oh, that's a huge one. Yeah. No, that makes so much sense. I, I mean, because I've done it, like when it comes to getting professional help that I've gone through all the different varieties of either like, no, like that's not something to, I, I can afford or like, no, like there's other people who are way more messed up than I am who actually need help. I don't actually need help for these tiny little things or, or no, it just feels more comfortable to not break up my routine. You know, like I've definitely done the things. thing of like spending a ton of time looking on Yelp or trying to find sites of like researching different people and then never going to any of them because I'm too overwhelmed by the whole process. Yeah. Yeah. Or because you're like trying to find the perfect one. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. I've definitely done that too. Wow. It doesn't exist. Coming together (laughs) y'all. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So another thing that can help break you out of self-sabotage cycles is learning to reframe failure. Um, this is such a huge one. We could probably do an entire episode just on yeah. the topic of reframing failure. Um, I like that. But for Let's instance, do that. we should do that again. 
Okay, I put it on the list. Okay. But for instance, you know, many of us carry the story that, um, you know, quote unquote, serious talks in relationships means that there's some kind of failure. You know, I think a lot of us carry this message of like, love's supposed to be organic. And to a certain extent, it's supposed to be easy. And like, if you're truly connected to someone, you know, you're always able to finish each other's sentences. And so that means if we have to sit down and like, schedule a talk or talk about something uncomfortable, that means there's some kind of failure. And that failure or that fear of the discomfort can cause people to just avoid it perpetually, never bring up the topic until it explodes later on Mm. or causes much bigger issues. Um, So I'm often directing people, especially clients to reframe this idea around communication to realize that like intentional and uncomfortable communication, it's not a failure. It's something that helps your relationships get better. You know, it's an opportunity that helps develop more intimacy and closeness between you and the person that you're communicating with. Yeah. Um, it's almost like, it's almost like exercising to get stronger or to get in shape. And that I that feel is like uncomfortable. It can be at times, right? It, it's especially it's, if you're just starting out. Exactly. But I think most of us, at least on an intellectual level, understand that that's something you need to do in order to get stronger or to get in shape. But it's like we apply the thinking of relationships would be like if you thought, oh, well, I should just be strong. Like, I should just be in shape. And if I have to work out, that means something's wrong with me or I'm failing. So, like, that can't be it. Yeah. Right? Like or if the, the workout is challenging. <laughs> right. If the workout's hard, that means something must be wrong, mm-hmm. which is exactly the opposite of what you need to do if you actually want to get any progress with it. Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, re- related, there's also this story that we carry culturally that any relationship ending is a failure, and therefore a lot of people will self-sabotage by stubbornly staying in a relationship that's not making anybody happy because we're trying to avoid that sting of failure that, Mm -hmm. you know, and how a relationship ending is going to reflect on us. Mm -hmm. Um, And again, it's learning to reframe that story that like a relationship ending or deescalating or changing in some way, you know, it just allows both people to keep moving forward in a better direction for their lives. That's not necessarily a failure. Um, Outside of the realm of relationships, when it comes to things like, creating something like writing or art or creating a new project. I know for me, I'm really trying so hard to just remind myself that it's like part of the process is failure in both big and small, you know, in, and it's like failure and imperfection and it's okay to trust that process. Um, You know, like it's okay to just make something, even if it's not perfect, it's okay to make something, even if it doesn't 100% capture what you were going for. Um, that it's like the process of making something or taking that step forward is still progress, essentially. Um, And that's, I mean, I don't know, that's a huge one. But it's definitely one that, like, if I keep reminding myself of that, that it's like, it's okay for it to be uncomfortable and imperfect, um, you know, that's going to still move you forward. That's definitely helped me to kind of become braver and not just, like, sabotage myself, you know, sabotage myself by constantly just choosing to not create or avoiding creating or writing or things like that. Yeah. Uh, And then the next one we have here is choose your friends wisely. So we all have heard this before with, uh, you know, kids in school. It's like, oh, well, you know, he fell in with the wrong crowd or (laughs) right or or the right crowd. And that that makes a difference and that our parents will worry about who we're associating with in school. The same is true for you today. This isn't just something that applies to kids. And this is something that if you if you like look this up, like look up. Do a Google search for something like 
how does your friend group affect your success? Or how does your friend group affect your decisions? Or how does your friend group affect your health? Any number of these, there are so, so many buttloads of studies showing how true this is, that in things from self-control to students' performance in school to mm. workers' both job satisfaction and their performance at their job, uh, your health, um, just just so many things can be determined by looking at your group of friends. And you can basically look at essentially the average of your group of friends and determine how you're going to be in a certain category. Interesting. And... I think it can feel really mercenary or harsh to people to just say like, oh, so what? You're saying I should just stop being friends with all my friends? And yeah, maybe it's not quite that simple, but it is really something worth thinking about. Because we talked before about the need to fit into a social group can actually stop you from improving beyond that, because then you'll feel like you're not part of that social group. Whereas similarly, a social group who is doing well in these certain areas will more likely encourage you and support you in being more successful in those areas, whether it's relationships or work or you know, other parts of your personal life, because that's how you fit in better with your community. Yeah. I'll save it for the bonus episode. Okay. What I was going to oh. say. Okay. All right. Well, for our patrons, you'll for our check patrons, that out you get it. If you want to hear... <laughs> become a patron um gosh what what a tease i know i know right uh <laughs> the last one that we have is uh just do it jessica graham style if you remember your, our <laughs> dear friend our dear friend jessica graham uh from many moons ago when we did the episode and interview about her book good sex i uh, she talked about cold turkey doing things cold turkey like i actually she didn't talk about this on that episode oh, she, i don't think okay this is just a different thing she's taught me and dedeker that we like to bring up from time to time i don't think this actually came up on that episode i think this i think she included this in her book though oh okay she talked about it in yeah. the book okay. but it, it was it, yeah. yeah when she was talking about like a self-sabotaging behavior which was smoking cigarettes um and it was just like Quitting at cold turkey, like just don't put the cigarette in your mouth. And I was laughing because I was like, "That's what I did when I became vegan. I just didn't put mm. the turkey in my mouth. I was it was cold turkey. <laughs> I just didn't put it in my mouth." <laughs> yeah, no, but but really, I mean, it is that uh, just taking that leap. If mm. if something is uh, is scary to you, just do it anyways. If something is not going well then stop doing it. And that's tough. That's a tough one. That's, that's really something that's like, oh man, can, can I actually do that? That takes a lot of courage, I think. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, it sounds so simplistic, but I do think the point that Jessica always makes whenever she talks about this is it's like some people just need that permission. Yeah. You know, like yeah. that they don't need to dive deep into therapy about something that it is literally like, okay, it is okay to just stop. Um, it's like something that Jason and I say back and forth to each other all the time. Um, I believe this was, it was Ajahn Chah, who is a, um, a Thai, uh, like Buddhist monk who's written a bunch of stuff, a bunch of books, really venerated in his field. Um, and I read this story about, he had a translator. It was this American guy who was, who was translating Thai into English and like translating English into Thai for an audience wow. that was giving Ajahn Chah questions. And, um, someone in the audience, uh, had described like 
uh, you know, often I have feelings of guilt that come up like from the past or recent past or whatever. And sometimes that comes up in meditation. And I was wondering, you know, what Ajahn Chah's thoughts were on like handling guilt within a meditative practice. And the translator realized um, that in the Thai language, there isn't really a word for guilt. Um, and he was like, huh, oh gosh, okay. So he kind of had to make like essentially like cobbled together this explanation of what guilt was in Thai because there wasn't actually a word for it. And Ajahn Chah was like, wait, what? Like, wait, what is it? Like, wait, what? And so the translator kept like struggling and like trying to describe what guilt was. And then finally Ajahn Chah said, you know what? That sounds like suffering. Just tell them they shouldn't do that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, (laughs) So that's something that like Jason and I have adopted in saying to each other, like sometimes when I'm like, ah, like I just... I don't know. Like, I want to put together a book proposal, but then I start thinking about this, and then I'm like, but maybe the book shouldn't be about this, but like, but then I'm like, oh, but then I'm writing it, and then like, Jason's just like, it sounds like suffering, just don't do that. Um, <laughs> That's good. Yeah, we've gotten each other with that one many times. And sometimes even something that simple actually is really helpful to be like, oh, you know what, you're right, it's just suffering, it's just self-sabotage. I'm going to do something else that's not that. <laughs> wow, wise words. <laughs> yeah. Wise words, madam and sir. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, well, we definitely want to hear about all of the ways in which you self-sabotage and the ways <laughs> in which you choose to stop suffering and stop doing that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that that would be really interesting to hear because I know this is a very personal thing. I think it's something that like pretty much everyone has to deal with at some point in their lives or another. And uh, it, it's great to hear like how one combats that. And we hope that, that some of these ways are ways that you yourself can uh, learn to combat self-sabotaging and make your life better, make your life happier. So the best place to share your thoughts with other listeners is on this episode's discussion thread and our private Facebook or discourse forums. You can get access to these groups and join our exclusive community by going to patreon.com slash multiamory. In addition, you can share with us publicly on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. You can email us at info at multiamory.com. Leave us a voicemail at 678-MULTI-05. Or you can leave us a voice message on Facebook. Multiamory is created and produced by Jace Lindgren, Dedeker Winston, and me, Emily Matlack. Our episodes are edited by Mauricio Balbanera. Our social media wizard is Will McMillan. Our theme song is Forms I Know I Did by Josh and Anand from the Fractal Cave EP. The full transcript is available on this episode's page on multiamory.com. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive set of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.